Our first reading this morning is from Isaiah, chapter 60, verses 1 to 3. Uh, it'll be followed by the first 14 verses of chapter 1 in Colossians. So, commencing with Isaiah, where Isaiah is speaking to all the earth. God has told him what to say, and this is what he said. He said, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, Darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Colossians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing through the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually Ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have a great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Thanks, Daryl, and good morning, everyone. My name is Mark, if we haven't met. It's great to, great to be with you this morning as we kick off in the book of Colossians. Um, in a previous church I was at back in the, the pre-COVID era where you could just hand something to someone without having to sanitize all of your hands, um, we, we used to give everyone a service leaflet as they, as they arrived at church, and inside that service leaflet um, there'd be a contact card. And on the contact card, you could tick various boxes on there, like, um, I'd like to join a community group, or I'd like to be added to the email list, or, or I'd like to find out more about Jesus, that, that sort of thing, those, those next step kind of options. Um, there was one guy who, every now and then, he'd fill in a contact card, and, 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 he, and he'd tick on there, I'd like to find out more about Jesus. Um, but but we, never, we never ended up following him up. And the reason we didn't is because he was actually the principal of the local Bible college. Um, he had a, a PhD in theology. He probably knew more about Jesus than everyone in the whole church combined. Um, 
But the cheeky point he was making was that the Christian life here on earth never moves beyond finding out more about Jesus. And that is the message that's right at the heart of the book of Colossians. Uh, so the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to, and, he's, and he's writing to God's holy people, so God's church in, in Colossae. Uh, Colossae was um, quite a small city. You can, you can see on the map kind of the basic area of where it is there. Um, it was started not by the Apostle Paul, but, but by a guy called Epaphras, who was a guy, he was a, a Colossian guy who heard the gospel message from Paul when Paul was preaching in another city, probably Ephesus, which is kind of nearby there. Um, so Epaphras heard the message, he, he came back to his hometown and he, and he began proclaiming to his own people this message that Paul had preached, which is that Jesus has died and he's been raised back to life to bring us into an everlasting relationship with the one true God. Uh, now, a whole lot of people believed this message and a new church was born. Uh, we fast forward a few years and Paul has he's gone around preaching the gospel. Um, now, now he's in prison. He's in prison, most likely in Rome. And locked up with him is Epaphras, this guy who started the Colossian church. And Epaphras tells Paul about the Colossian church and, and what's been happening in it. And so Paul decides to write a letter to this church, a church full of people who he's never met before. And he writes this letter because he wants them to be grounded in Jesus. He wants them firmly established in Jesus. He wants them to keep going strong in their faith, to know that Jesus is all that they need. I think these, these two verses in chapter 2 of Colossians really sum up the intent of the letter. So then, Paul writes, "...just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord..." Continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. So basically, keep on living for Jesus, Paul is telling them. Um, And there's a real deep love and affection that Paul has for these Colossian Christians that that really leaps off the page as, as we read it. Paul is miles away from them. He's locked up in, in a prison in Rome. But, but in this letter, what he's doing is he's really wrapping his arms around them and spurring them on in their walk with Jesus. Uh, he begins by letting them know what he's praying for, for them and what he's giving thanks for as he hears about how they're going. Uh, there's a lot in this passage uh, about how we should pray for people. There's, there's a lot that we can learn about how we, how we pray for one another. Uh, but it's also more than just a masterclass in prayer, this, this start to the letter to the Colossians. And Paul is ministering to all of us as he writes this. He, he is showing us something vitally important about the shape of the Christian life, uh, which is that we're, we're not only saved by believing the gospel message, um, but we're empowered to live a life each day that is pleasing to Jesus as God fills us with a deeper and deeper understanding of this message. So in other words, the gospel message about Jesus is central for every season of Christian life. We never, ever move beyond it. Uh, So Paul begins by giving thanks for their faith, love and hope 
in the gospel. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, Paul says, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven. So for Paul, authentic spirituality is all about faith, love, and hope. Faith in Christ Jesus. So it's, it's the object of faith that's important. It's not, it's not so much how impressive that faith looks on the outside. It's that that faith is in Jesus. Love for God's people, his church. And this faith and love, they, they flow out of a, a deep hope that they have in heaven. The hope of eternal life in Jesus. Uh, the Colossian Christians may have been tempted to, to think that true spirituality is about following certain rules or living up to certain standards or, or having certain experiences. And we're going to see a little bit more about that as we go on throughout the letter. Um, but, but Paul tells them, no, that's, that's not what it's about. It's about faith in Christ, love for his church, flowing out of a hope in heaven. Paul is saying to them, you are genuine Christians. You can be confident in that. You are genuine Christians because you've heard and you've responded to the genuine message. Uh, so he, he assures them in verses 5 and 6 that their hope is grounded in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. And in the same way, Paul says, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. And so Paul is saying this, this message that Epaphras brought to you though all those months and years ago, this is the true gospel message. It's the same gospel message that I've been proclaiming to all the other towns. Um, it's not like there are a whole lot of variations of the gospel message going around and, and the Colossians have got some inferior version of it, like they haven't got the last software update on their iPhone or, or something like that. No, Paul is saying when you understood God's grace, you got it. You got the message. Um, you might be here this morning just um, checking church out, checking Christianity out, not, not quite sure if it's for you or not. And, and you might find it a bit overwhelming. There's, there's lots of different denominations. Um, sometimes Christians take different views on, on different sorts of issues how do I know who I should listen to? How do I know who has the right message? And if that's you, then I want to say that God's grace to us in the gospel message is the key that unlocks Christianity. Um, I can remember when I first understood God's grace for the first time. Now, I, I'd grown up believing in God, but, but thinking that it was up to me to, to earn a right relationship with God, thinking that if, that if I lived a good enough life, if I obeyed everything in the Bible, if I got everything right, God would be happy with me and I'd get to go to heaven. That was, that was my view of things. Um, and it just left me really discouraged when I failed at things. It left me doubtful, wondering how I could ever know if I'd done enough. And it left me believing in God but not loving him. You know, it, it felt like God was watching me and, 
and just waiting for me to mess up so that he could punish me. It's a, you know that feeling you get when you're driving and you look in your rearview mirror and there's a police car right behind you? That, that's kind of what a relationship with God felt like. It was on a church camp as a 19-year-old where, where I first heard God's grace taught and I first understood it. Um, I, what I came to understand was that in our own strength and in our, in our own goodness, we, we're always going to fall short of the life that God wants us to live. And if we're being honest, we're always going to fall short of the life that we know deep down that we should be living as well. But Jesus died to take our sin, to take all of our wrongdoing on himself so that we can be right with God. What that means is we're not saved by our our own works. We're saved by God's grace, grace that we could never deserve. Now, for me, that was 14 years ago, and I've grown. I'd like to think I've grown in many ways as a follower of Jesus since then, but I'm no more saved. I'm no more right with God now than I was in that moment when I believed that message for the first time, when I understood God's grace for the first time. Um, I've also had the great privilege since then of walking alongside a number of other people who have come to understand God's grace for the first time. And it's a, it's a really exciting and joyful time for someone who comes to faith in Jesus. But it can also, you're also thrust into a whole new world. Um, it can be, can be quite overwhelming comparing yourself with other people at church who have been Christians for much longer and, and seem to know a whole lot more stuff. Um, it can be discouraging when you, you don't feel like you're making the progress that you ought to. Um, maybe you're here this morning as someone who has come to faith in Jesus quite recently, or, or maybe you've been a Christian for a while, but, you, but you're having doubts about how, how genuine your faith is. Well, if that's you, then, then the Apostle Paul is, is saying here, is your faith in Christ? Do, do you trust that he's done what you couldn't to bring you to God? Do you love God's people? Is your hope in heaven? Paul wants us all to be certain that if we've believed the true message, then we are true believers. We don't have to have doubts. Um, But if you're in that place where where you are having doubts or or you're not quite sure about things, then please have a chat to someone who you know and trust about this. Come and have a chat with me or or with Stephen, with Sally, with, with someone who is going to be able to help you to, to think these things through. We'd love you, we'd love to, to sit down with you, to, to open up the Bible, to just sit in the gospel message together and be able to assure you. The gospel message brings us to Jesus, but not just that, it grows us in Jesus as well, which, which brings us to the next point. We've heard that Paul is thankful that the Colossian believers have put their hope in the gospel. And with this in mind, he's not just satisfied with that. This drives him to prayer. He prays that God would fill them with knowledge of the gospel. Uh, for this reason, he says in verse 9, Since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Now, God's will here isn't so much who I should marry, what I should study at uni, that, that sort of thing. 
Paul is talking about God's broader will here. He's, he's talking about his purposes for creation in Christ, which are revealed to us in his word. So in other words, Paul is praying here that, that they would be filled with a greater knowledge and understanding of the gospel message. And this knowledge has a purpose as well, Paul says, verse 10, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. So what's happening here is that we are empowered to live a life that's pleasing to Jesus as God fills us with a deeper and deeper understanding of the gospel. Uh, What will that look like? It will mean that we are bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. Paul doesn't want puffed-up Christians who, who know lots of things. He, he wants us to be living out this knowledge of the gospel in our lives. Um, so, for example, I, I know that Alicia, my wife, loves oriental lilies. That's a type of flower for all the, for all the guys out there. I wouldn't have known that six years ago. Um, but that's, so I know that she likes lilies, but that's fairly useless knowledge to have unless I actually every now and then go out and buy her some lilies. Um, in the same way, our, our knowledge of God goes hand in hand with living it out in our lives. Um, see, on one level, the gospel message is quite simple. It's quite a simple message. We're, we're sinners. We could never save ourselves. Jesus died in our place. He was raised back to life. And if we put our trust in him, we're right with God. That's a that's a wonderful message, but, but a really simple message, this message that saves us. And yet it might be simple, but, but it has immeasurable depth to it. The, the implications of this gospel message go deep into our lives, deep into our hearts. We, we spend our whole lives exploring just how deep it goes. And, and we come to know God better as we live for him and as we take this message to heart each day. So, for example, I could read all the books in the world on the topic of forgiveness. I could, you know, I could write a PhD on it. I could become an expert on the, on the topic of God's forgiveness. But it's not until I'm actually put in a situation where I have to forgive someone who's done wrong against me that I actually grasp at a heart level what it meant for God to forgive me. Uh, Paul prays uh, also that they would be strengthened with all power according to God's glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience. Uh, Paul knows that a life following Jesus comes with doubts, temptations, pains, disappointments, failures, opposition. It's it's not always an easy life. And so we need God's strength to, to help us to stand firm in this gospel message and not be swayed. And then finally, verses 12 to 14. Giving joyful thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So being filled with the knowledge of the gospel is going to make us more thankful as, as we understand more deeply that through Jesus we've been redeemed. We've been set free. Our sins are forgiven. We've been 
rescued from a, a kingdom of darkness and brought into a kingdom of light. God has qualified us to come into his kingdom. We, we have not qualified ourselves for this. I'm more qualified to fly an aeroplane, perform open heart surgery, or, or run the 100 metres final at the Commonwealth Games than I ever could be to, to qualify for the inheritance of God's kingdom. But because of God's grace to us in Jesus, that's exactly what he declares us to be. Qualified for entry into his kingdom. What a reason to be thankful. That's the message that we're, we're going to give thanks for a bit later on this morning as we share in the Lord's Supper together. Thankful that, that God has done for us through Jesus what we couldn't. So can you see that the gospel message, it doesn't just save us. It's central to every moment of living for Jesus. We never graduate from the gospel. Believing in the gospel, it's not like passing an exam that you, that you just have to pass to, to finish your course and move on to the next thing. The gospel is always the foundation. It's the message that we, that we keep coming back to. It's the lens that we view everything in life through. The message that saves us once and for all is the message that empowers us each day to live for God. It's always our greatest need. It's always everyone's greatest need. Paul, as he writes, he wants everyone to be filled with a, a deep, heartfelt understanding of this gospel message, which flows into every part of our lives. That's his vision for the Christian life. It's where he wants us to find our, our strength, our joy, our meaning, our direction, our purpose, everything in our lives, in this gospel message. And I hope that that's our desire as well. I hope that as we come to church, as we have conversations with one another, in our community groups, in our own personal prayer and Bible reading, that, that we long to be filled with a deeper knowledge of the gospel that empowers us to live more and more each day for Jesus. I think we've seen that this passage is far more than just a lesson in how to pray. It's, it's um, showing us huge truths about what it means to, to live for Jesus. Um, but that said, I do want to finish with four things from this passage about Paul's prayer that I, that I think can helpfully shape our own prayers. Um, so firstly, Paul's prayer is persistent. We haven't stopped praying for you, Paul says. We're continually praying for you. The encouraging news that he hears about the Colossian Christians really just drives him to, to keep on praying for them. Uh, secondly, Paul's prayer is selfless. Paul is imprisoned as he writes this letter. I reckon if I was writing a letter from prison, it would be pretty self-focused to say the least. I'd be saying, hurry up and get a GoFundMe page started to get me out of here. Um, and yet, despite his own needs, Paul's prayers in this letter, are, they're really focused on other people. Now, it's not wrong to pray for ourselves. We, we should pray for ourselves, for our, our own needs. But prayer is also a really tangible, selfless way that we love other people as well. Uh, thirdly, Paul's prayer is expansive. 
I pray that God would fill you with knowledge through all wisdom so you might please the Lord in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, strengthened with all power, having all endurance and patience. Paul knows the riches and the generosity of God and so he prays boldly. There's, there's nothing half-hearted about what Paul is asking for here. And finally, Paul's prayer is gospel-centered. His ultimate concern here is how the gospel comes to bear in people's lives. Now, I'm sure he prayed for situational needs as well. I'm sure he prayed for for people's job interviews to go well and for, for things like that. But he knows that the gospel message is people's greatest need all the time. And so it shapes every part of his prayers. When people believe and come to faith, Paul is deeply thankful, a bit like what Stephen was sharing about in the, in the All Ages spot just earlier. And it drives him to, to keep praying that the gospel message would take deeper and deeper root and that it would transform their lives for God's glory. Um, with that in mind, why don't I pray for us that so that would be our prayer as well. God, we praise you for your gracious love for us that you've shown us in the gospel. We thank you for the assurance that we're saved by trusting in Jesus' death and resurrection. And we we pray that you would fill us all to the brim with the knowledge of your will through all wisdom and understanding, that we would please you and that we would honour Jesus in every way. Amen.